Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. Happy 4th of July weekend to all of you guys. I hope you had a great uh, time with your family and the community celebrating uh, the birth of our nation and our freedoms. We don't take that for granted. We're grateful to live in a country such as this. So I hope you enjoyed the grilling and the chilling and some of the, the sweating. It was pretty hot out there. Uh, but man, one of the things I... Uh, I will not forget. So last night we were at the fireworks. I don't know how many of you, just raise your hand, were at the fireworks last night. Okay. Some of you were. Some of you were trying to sleep with all the noise of the fireworks going off. But um, we were getting ready to watch the fireworks. So uh, my family, except for, for Emmy, she was uh, with some friends. Uh, we were just on the blanket there and just kind of waiting with anticipation. And off in the distance, I don't know if you noticed this, off in the distance, there were those who were just kind of uh, doing some little fireworks, almost like a, a pregame show for us off in the distance. And as I was watching some of those uh, fireworks off in the distance, um, I saw something else that was glowing rather brightly in the sky. Did anybody see it last night? Full, full moon. Just kind of hanging out there in the distance, just humbly sitting there, shining brightly. And I thought, what a contrast between the two. Right? So here's, here's what we got as humans. Here's what we can do. And here, here's God with, with this massive moon out in the distance, uh, 500,000 times higher in the sky than any fireworks, and way more brighter, lasts a lot longer. And I, I started thinking about that and thought about how we celebrate the 4th of July and how we should and be thankful for the freedoms that we have. And yet it reminded me that there is a much deeper, greater, more profound freedom that we ought to celebrate as Christians. We're going to talk about that today and how this freedom begins in our minds. There's a battle that's being fought in our minds every day. I'll move this one up just a little bit so you can see here. Um, so this battle is waging on as Christians, and there is on to one side, and kind of the battle lines are being drawn, and one side is, is Jesus, is, is Christ, and on the other side is, is sin, the sin within us. And they are sending messages to our minds every day that affect the way that we think. And we might ask the question, well, so what? Well, you know this, right? How you think determines how you live. How you think determines how you live. Our lives are as a leash to our minds. Wherever our minds go, so goes our lives. And so in our passage today, Peter is urging us to arm ourselves, to arm our minds, to prepare for battle. It's not with swords, not with shields, not with guns, but with the very mind of Christ. So we can think like he thinks to have the same attitude as he has, and we'll be set free. We'll be armed and free. 
Peter knew that these new Christians that he's speaking to are going through a lot of pain and suffering. They're just coming out of a very sinful lifestyle. And consequently, uh, when they've been called to be believers in Jesus Christ and now to be different in this world, distinctively different as, as aliens and sojourners and exiles in this world, well, they were mistreated. They were maligned. They were made fun of, slandered, and they were suffering. And so they needed to arm themselves for this battle. But the battle wasn't really against those on the outside. It was a battle that started inside of them, against the lies of sin still living within them, still waging war in their souls. And so Peter knew that if their minds were ready, if they were armed with with the mind of Christ, they would be free, free to live and to love like Christ himself. So with that in mind, if you have a Bible this morning, turn to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you don't have one with you, the words will be up there on the screen in back of me. We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, a series called Living Hope, and we're now at chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. Listen to the words of God. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God... Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So look back with me at verse 1 again. Peter writes, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way thinking. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh. In the flesh means in in the body here. Since Christ suffered while on this earth. I think most notably, Peter's referring to the cross, where Christ suffered like no one ever has suffered before. And we see a window into Christ's suffering and and what he was thinking. What was his mindset? What was the mind of Christ? Because we're to have the same mind. What was he thinking in those moments leading up to the cross? Well, if you look back with me at 1 Peter 2, 22 to 23, we see Peter writes, He committed, Jesus, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, so to sum, sum that up, his mind, Christ's mindset, was I'm willing to suffer rather than sin. I'm entrusting myself to God. And that's our mindset when we face suffering. We're to arm ourselves. That word, by the way, is a military term. Elsewhere, Paul says to clothe yourselves. But this is stronger. He's saying, arm yourselves with the same thinking that Christ had when he suffered on the cross. To have that same mindset, you're to equip yourself for battle, not with swords and shields, but this inward armor, this weaponry on the inside. So Christ's message to us in our minds is, are you willing to suffer rather than sin? That was his mentality. I'd rather suffer than to turn my back on my father. What's that look like in your life? At home? At work? In this community? If we were honest with ourselves, I think it's the the reverse. (laughs) I'd rather sin than suffer. The message of sin, the message of self, says uh, avoid pain at all costs. Pursue as much comfort as possible. And when suffering comes, man, I want to do whatever I can to avoid that. Even if it means being a little selfish and sinning. So there's a battle waging in our minds to, to have this mind of Jesus, His same way of thinking, His attitude. And so how do, we, how do we get the mind of Christ? In verse 1, it goes on to say, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that's a problematic phrase, has ceased from sin. It can't mean sinless perfection, because then none of us would be Christians, right? So he's not talking about sinless perfection. He's speaking about the fact that if If we have suffered with Christ, if we are believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know that we have died to sin and we're now alive with Christ, as it says in Romans chapter 6. And so we we can look at sin and say, you're dead to me now. I don't don't have to obey you anymore. Uh, Christ is my new master. I'm under Christ. I'm under grace. I think he's also saying that when we're willing to suffer rather than sin, Sin loses its power in our lives. The more we say yes to Christ, the more that we don't even want to go back to sin because this is better. So it cuts off the power of sin when we're willing to suffer and say yes to Jesus. The early apostles lived this way and they were so free. Uh, One pastor, I love the way he says this, speaking about the uh, early apostles. You know, when threatened, they were were not scared. They were willing to suffer rather than sin. The world was saying, we'll beat you then. We'll we'll beat you. Their response was, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. We'll we'll kill you then. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We're going to destroy your message by murdering you and all of your followers. Well, That's what you did to Jesus. 
How'd that work out for you? Well, then we're just going to shut you up in prison. Awesome. We've got some writing we wanted to do anyway. (laughs) And so we arm ourselves with the knowledge that Christ has come to suffer, and we follow in his steps. And when we're free to suffer rather than sin, we're free. We're free to live, to live for Christ no matter what happens. So that's where Peter moves next. So it starts with the mind, begins in our minds. The gospel changes the way that we think, and how we think affects the way that we live. So look at verses 1 and 2 again with me. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So you see the connection between our thinking and our living. He says we ought to live negatively no longer for our human passions, no longer for our sinful desires, but instead for the will of God, positively for the will of God. So how do you live for the will of God? So many people get off track here. Um, Trying to seek out the will of God, to make sure that I'm staying in the will of God, when 95% of the will of God is right in the word of God. So stay in the Word of God, and you're, you're going to be in line with the will of God. Sometimes the biblical writers even spell it out for us. In 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 3 to 5, says this, For this is the will of God, so you want to know the will of God. This is the will of God, your sanctification, becoming more like Jesus, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God. That's the will of God, to live a holy life, which isn't always easy, especially in a culture like this one, especially when life gets hard and we're suffering. But we're called to to do good, even in the face of suffering. That's, That's our calling. That's God's will for our lives. Back in 1 Peter 3, verse 17, Peter said, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Now, if you trace this phrase, do good, in the book of verse Peter, you're going to find it's repeated seven times. Do good, do good, do good. Over and over again, it's repeated, and it's always in the context of suffering. And every time, it's a witness to the watching world around us. Do good. And so to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ is to have this mentality that I'm going to live for God's will no matter what the cost. I'm going to do good even in the face of suffering. I'm going to forsake human passions and live for the will of God even if it costs me something. I'll walk with Christ even if it means walking away from my old way of life. Look at what he says here in verses 3 to 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So while Christ says, I'll live for God's will, whatever the cost, that's the mind of Christ, 
the flesh is saying, our sin is, is saying, well, I just want to do whatever feels good. I want to keep doing whatever feels good and slip back to my old way of life. And so you feel kind of the, the pull here. And I don't know how, what your pull is in what direction. Are you feeling the pull toward Christ or feeling the pull back towards your sin? Feeling the pull back towards your past, your old way of life? Peter says, if you're in Christ, that's in your past. Don't go back there anymore. You've sinned enough already. And that's only left you more and more empty. You want to go back there again? You'll never find happiness and satisfaction there. There's something better to live for now, something incredibly more satisfying. And yet for some reason, we think we're going to miss out. Seems more fun over here. Following Jesus? Is that really going to be a joy for me in my life? Kind of a a weird uh, moment. So I was was driving back from, I think it was Cedar Rapids. I think I was visiting. Yeah, that's right. I was visiting my my parents for a season. They're kind of walking through some challenges with my dad. And um, I was listening listening to the radio. Sometimes I just like to listen and Takes me back, especially listening to the 80s, the 90s music. And I was listening, and there was a song that came on, Jack and Diane. You guys remember that song? 1982 by John Cougar Mellencamp. One of the top 100 songs, I guess, of the century. (laughs) That's pretty weak. Anyway, I'm listening to the song again. I'm just remembering. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm tempted to as I'm thinking about it. Um, It says, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. I thought, isn't that just like our culture? Life just keeps going on long after the thrill of living is gone. He says at one point, hold on to 16 as long as you can. I thought, seriously? (laughs) What about when you turn 17? (laughs) Right? Like, hold on to those moments. Like, they were the best ones. You'll, You'll never have anything as great as that. That's our culture. And I think this is one of the saddest things, and I've seen it in our community. One of the saddest things, I think, is when a 30-year-old, 40-year-old, even 50-year-old is still living like they're in high school. Still living for the weekend. Really? Haven't you found that that will never satisfy your heart? That kind of life is actually really, really sad. And you want to go back? That's what that Peter's readers... Peter's like, hey, you have found a treasure here. You, you want to go back to this? This is like garbage. This will never satisfy your heart. But we feel the pull to go back. Especially when times are tough, we feel the pull. Especially when we think, well, I don't know if I'm feeling very joyful in Jesus. In fact, he's given me some hard things to walk through. Maybe I should go back. You'll never find life there. And notice what it says in verse 4. With respect to this, so when you say no to this as a Christian, and I'm not going to go back, with respect to this, they, so these are those in the world right now that you're coming out of this lifestyle, they're surprised when you don't join them. Literally, you're not running with them anymore in the same flood of debauchery, in this reckless, wild living. They're surprised by that. And they malign you. So notice two responses. 
that people in the world will have towards you if you are walking with Jesus and saying no to the sins and the human passions that you used to say yes to. They will be surprised. So positively, they're, they're surprised. They're looking at you like, wait, you used to be running with me in this. You used to join me in this. And, and there's a curiosity as to why you're not doing that anymore. Because isn't this what life is all about? You were here with me in that. What's up? There's surprise. There's a curiosity there. But, but negatively, there's also this, this sense of they're, they're offended by you. Like, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Because I can't justify my behavior anymore. Because somehow you're happy, and I'm not, and I'm still living this way, and you're living for Jesus? And so they begin to malign you, make fun of you. It surprises us that our witness can be both attractive and repulsive at the same time, right? We can be attractive to some and repulsive to others. I'm going to share this quick story here just because it's kind of fun. Um, Back when I was uh, engaged to my wife in 1998, um, so I remember going to uh, Happy Chef. They still have those around? I think probably not anymore. (laughs) Um, so we went to eat there, and I got the salad bar. My wife chose not to, and I got it there in the line, and I saw that there was a pickled herring. You guys know what pickled herring is? I thought it'd be kind of fun to put some on my plate to gross my to-be wife a little out there as a little joke. And so I, I go back to my seat. I told her, here, I got something for you, and I put it on her plate. And to my surprise, she grabbed it and said, oh, thanks, and popped it in her mouth. And I was like, what? This is weird. I was not expecting that to happen. Uh, and little to, to, that I knew, my wife just loved pickled herring. She had grown up with that. Um, how could that be? I'm going to marry her. And she loves pickled herring. But I thought, how could, how could someone find something so attractive and others find it so repulsive? And that, that's just the way it is, you know. Um, the scriptures say, to one is the aroma of life, to the other is the aroma of death, as we witness Um, to our faith in Jesus. And so that's going to happen. Just expect that's going to happen. As we're doing good, we're following Jesus, some will be surprised, some will be offended. But keep in mind what's what's coming. So if you're wondering, man, it seems like a lot of fun over here. Uh, Look at what's going to happen in verse 5. But they, those who continue to run in this pattern of life, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're going to have to give an account to Jesus one day for how they lived in the body. Later, we're going to see in chapter 4, verse 17, that this judgment includes all of us. It starts with the household of God. We will all be before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account of our lives. But for now, this is a wake-up call, a wake-up call. If you're feeling pulled back to this way of life, Listen, it's not going to end very well. You might have some, quote-unquote, fun here, but it's going to be empty, and in the end, it's going to lead to destruction and judgment forever in hell. And so you have have to ask the question, where is all this taking me? Where is this going to end up, not only 20 years down the road, but into eternity? So uh, Peter essentially says, how you think determines how you live. If you're willing to suffer, 
rather than sin and live for God's will, whatever the cost, you're going to be free. You will. You will be free, free to, to live and free to love people rather than live for yourself. And that's where he goes next. The gospel changes the way you think, which affects the way you live, which affects the way you love. Verses 7 and 8. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, notice verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Now, what end? Is that the end of your life? No. He's talking about when Christ comes back. Some of you in this room, you are convinced that Christ is coming back soon. Right? I mean, you, you look at the events of 2020, you think it can't get any worse than this, culturally, politically, even environmentally, and you're like, he's coming, this is it. But we forget, don't we, Peter wrote these words 2,000 years ago. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that Peter didn't know when Christ was coming back, but he lived like Christ was coming back. And so ought we. The end of all things is at hand, he says. Everything's ready. It's like acts in a play. The final act is going to come real soon and the curtain's going to fall down. And are you ready? And knowing that that's coming, Peter says, you've got to be sober-minded. What that means is you're not, you're not crazy in fear about all this, you know, staring into heaven, but you're ready to love and to be useful in God's kingdom. Verse 8 says, above all, love, love. How do we do that? Verses 9 and 10, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So you want to love, show hospitality, serve. It occurred to me that I've said this before, in times of suffering, there's a heightened need to love one another because we're, we're prone to grow inward, aren't we? We're prone to think of ourselves, to, to kind of manage our own lives, to, to make sure that we're comfortable. And yet the kind of love that's going to stand out in this world today is this, this sacrificial love, loving earnestly. This love comes from Christ alone. We can love the same way he did, to forgive one another, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. We're patient with one another. We're hospitable to one another without grumbling. We're generous people. We want to serve one another. We want to use our gifts even when we're not operating like we typically do on Sundays. We can still use our gifts to bless other people even throughout the week. This week I read an article saying that this pastor was kind of... Uh, predicting that the next year or so is going to be probably one of the most uh, divided times that we've ever experienced in the life of the local church. It has the potential anyway in our lifetime to be the most divisive time with the coronavirus, with our culture, with all the confusion, with this election coming, with all the social media. Just so much here that we could be divided over. And yet we must not divide over these issues. We must come together around the shed blood of Christ. Armed with the mind of Christ, we're to be set free to live in unity and to love one another. Armed with the mind of Christ, we don't seek to avoid pain, to do whatever feels good, and to keep living for ourselves. No, we are willing to suffer rather than sin, to live for God's will 
whatever the cost, and to love people since the end is drawing near. And guys, we can do that because Christ, because Christ has set us free from our sin. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says this, All glory to Christ who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his own blood for us. And so this weekend, we celebrated our freedom as a nation, but today we celebrate our freedom from something even greater. We've been set free from the power of sin by the shed blood of Christ. And we're going to celebrate that in communion in just a few moments. So we come not in our own strength to to this table, so to speak, today. We come as an imperfect people clinging to a perfect Christ as those who have truly been set free. So let me pray and then we'll begin our time of, of thinking through communion together. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, and we acknowledge that our minds are a battlefield, and so often we're prone to give way to our sinful flesh. Some of us in this room, we still feel the pull to go back to our old way of life. Some of us, perhaps even for the first time, are seeing that that kind of life will never satisfy our souls. And so awaken us to see the beauty of Jesus and to come to him just as we are this morning as sinners in need of a Savior, just admitting, I, I'm a sinner. I need you, Christ, to take over my life. I acknowledge you died on the cross for me and you have risen from the grave and I, I want to give my life to you. And Father, for those of us who are believing in Christ, I pray that as we take of these elements today, you would help us to celebrate again our true freedom in Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.